0: Amen. How is he doing that? Where is he? Does anybody know? (laughs) I didn't, I really, honestly, I got up here and I was trying to be all spiritual and I thought, where's Michael? I don't. Hey, bless you. Happy New Year. And we turned on the lights because we're going to have you in your texts this morning in the Bibles as we uh, come to God's Word. You know, this is just an hour uh, worship gathering. We're going to make good use of it, celebrate the new year, and um, get into God's Word a little bit. Uh, We have all of our, um, our new PowerPoint for my sermon, for our new sermon series, is all emailed, And it's in the ether somewhere between here and our down church internet. So we do not have any sermon notes up there, and we don't have the cool new graphics for our new sermon series, but we're going to introduce it anyway, because as I scan the room, most of you look smart enough to get it without pictures, you know, like the books that you're supposed to be reading. They don't have pictures anymore. I think you can get that. So uh, we're going to blaze through and do that. Let's pray one more time. Let's put our hands out um, as in a spirit of uh, receiving from the Lord, and uh, we'll come to God's word. Father, thanks for your word. Thanks for speaking to us uh, with it. And uh, for some of us with the whirlwind of the week, this may be the first time we've been in your word in a while. And so we open it up, God, with anticipation. Our hands are outstretched as a symbol that we want to hear from you this morning, that all our hopes and longings, all of them, God, come to this moment, this place where we say, God, Will you show up for me? I want to worship you. I want to hear you in your word. I want to hear your voice to me. And so we just trust that, God. Pour out into our open palms whatever you have, an encouragement, a challenge, a rebuke, a correction, uh, an instruction, a truth that I need to know that I would not leave here the same as I came. That's our prayer and faith, God. That's why our hands are outstretched. That's why we show up here today. We want to meet with you, the living God who loves us. So come and speak, for your servants are listening. Come and speak, God, for your servants are listening. If that's your prayer, say amen. Amen. So this is a cruel joke for me right here, I'm telling you right now. If you can see up front that there's all these candles right around me, it's making me stand still. The next thing you'll do is tie my hands behind my back, and I won't be able to speak at all. Um, hey, you know, I forgot we want to do a little family business before we uh, uh, get to the, to God's Word, too. We Two things. Next week, uh, our regular worship times uh, begin again, 9 and 1045. How many of you were here at 9 today? Raise your hand. Go ahead. Tall and uh, real tall. Okay, the ashes. Yeah, you too, John? Well done, 9 o'clock. And, uh, and did you then sweep the patio? What did you do for the hour? I want to... What did you do over there? Uh, did you, would you say you guys were here early too? No, okay, you just looked guilty. All right, uh, 9 and 10.45 next week. And um, don't forget that in the back, you can register for MCCU, and that's in your bulletin. It's been on the Friday uh, email news blast to you. MCCU stands for MCCU University, or MCC uh, Unity, or MCC. You should be there. And it is a way that we're gonna spend the dark days of January together on Tuesday nights uh, Every Tuesday night, the three uh, middle Tuesdays in January, so the 10th, 17th, 24th, we're going to come here for dinner, some elective classes, some fun, some prayer together, just everybody together in fellowship and hanging out and then learning together. Uh, and you can see the electives that are there that are offered and there's programs for kids of all ages, everybody together on Tuesday nights. I think that sounds like a fabulous idea. So that starts on the 10th, okay? So uh, a week from this coming Tuesday. So register because if you register, A, we know where to put you for the the classes that you select and B, we know how to plan for food and C, you get a break for your dinner costs. It's only like 10 bucks per person for all three dinners if you register in advance. It's our little thing like, come on, you gotta register so we know uh, how to plan for you, okay? And then it's 40 bucks max for family, so if you got more than four people in your family, 40 bucks, dinner all three weeks, you can sign up, and it'll be uh, $100 a plate if you don't do it in advance. So that's up there. (laughs) I don't know what it's going to be, but it'll be a little more. So sign up in the back for MCCU. Doesn't that sound like a great idea to spend Tuesday nights in January? Oh, and if you've been used to being in a small group or a fellowship group or a home group or something like that, um, most of those are going to be suspended for uh, those three weeks uh, for the month of January so that we're all together. That way you don't have to go out two nights and uh, we'll be together on that night. Okay. I think there's other business, but I probably forget what it is. Look at your messenger. Get on the Friday email blast if you're not on it by getting on on our website. Okay. I have to move this... no, no, I'm good. I'm totally good. Um, hey, happy New Year! You know what? This is not a sermon on New Year's resolutions, but it ought to be. Don't you love New Year's resolutions? Or are you a person who hate them? Do you do you love them, dude? New Year's resolutions, I think, are awesome. I'm all about them. G.K. Chesterton had a quote where he said that uh, that how can we be about uh, the cynicism of everybody who says, "Oh, nobody's New Year's resolutions last past halfway through January." Have you seen all the, the research? You know, if anywhere you come up on the internet right now, you'll find some p- sort of a poll or some sort of research about what the top uh, a- New Year's resolutions are, and then uh, what when people. Uh, break them on average, and it's like the 12th of January is kind of it. And I think, seriously, do we need more cynicism in our world than to start pointing out that people make these big goals and then everybody's over them by the 12th of January, and then we spend the rest of the 353 days of our year being the losers that we were on December 31st, and we're just going to be that way for the rest of our lives. Friends, we of all people need to be people who go, no, that can't possibly be the whole truth. There's got to be something new about it. And G.K. Chesterton was one who said, we can't be that cynical about it because we're people who believe in new starts. Come on now, give me an amen, amen, church. We're people who believe in new birth, that you must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. You must have New Year's to be able to see the kingdom of God. You need these rebootings, these, did you say repagination? Art in your pageant, what? Okay, that's a good word, dude. Uh... <laughs> We need those things in our world if we're going to be living out this faith that, um, that we're called to live out. So I'm all about New Year's. I think it's a great thing. Here's what I think it does to us. I think it forces us to ask the question, what is it that I really think life ought to be about? Who do I really want to be? And what do I really believe? You with me? Is that what those things say? They, they say, wait a minute, what do I believe? Because what I believe will we'll dictate how I live, and I want to know what it is I believe to be true, what it is I believe to be real, what it is I believe to, to uh, have the most importance, and that's what we do when we stop and think about New Year's resolutions. resolutions. We go, what's true? Because then I want to aim for that. I want to put that in my sights, and I want to figure out how to get there. There's nothing wrong with that, friends. I think that is an awesome thing to do, even though we fail. I made two, two New Year's resolutions last year. Uh, One of them was that I was going to run 1,000 miles in 2011. And I know, and I got hurt, and I ran 850-something, 860-something miles. So I missed it. I know. Thank you. Loser. Loser. If you know who just screamed loser, that'd be even funnier. Uh, So so, (laughs) Greco, he ran... He, he ran 1,000 miles, but between the couch and the refrigerator does not count. That is not over the whole year. It's like, you know, it's like racers who go, you know, it's not the, t- it's not the time that matters. It's the distance. Art's like, yeah, I did it in 365 days. I did three. So, so I missed that goal. The other goal I had last year in 2011 was to lose 20 pounds, and I did it twice. <laughs> Have you done this too? And then I gained it back. So that's a new goal again for this year is that I'll lose what I gained back. So that's the awesome thing about New Year's Resolution, just keep starting. So I think what we, but, but what we do is we look and we go, what is it that I think is important that I'm going to put that in my sights because I believe that to be true? So all of the things that we can think about, the stuff about our health, we go, you know, that's important. I want to be there for my daughters to get married and have babies and for my son to be the man that God had, right? You have these powerful things that are true and right and I want to be alive to see that so I'm going to take care of myself. Did you know, somebody told me, did you know that if you floss because of what the bacteria that's in your body, if you get rid of it, what's, do you know the statistic? How does it affect your lifespan? No, five years. <laughs> somebody said six months. I wouldn't floss if it was only six months. <laughs> Where's Dr. Larson? Is he in here, Greg? No. So f- 5 years on average your life uh w- will extend because you don't get these other diseases and you don't get this other stuff because of the bacteria in you. 5 years. <laughs> For flossing. It's still not worth it. <laughs> I- I've chosen to believe that that's that's true. That's what I want to do. Everything that we look at and we go, wait, what's true? What do I believe is right? What do I believe is most important? Then it's going to dictate how I live. But what New Year's does is it focuses us on that. If I know that it's right to invest in my marriage, then I will get the credit card that gives me miles and I'll put all my gas on it and all my groceries on it and everything I ever do on that credit card so that I can get some miles so that when we save up enough miles, we cash them in and go somewhere together. And our kids go, who are you people? Where are you going? Are you planning another trip? And we're like, free trip, baby, we're going because I love your mom and you're not invited. It's important. It's totally important to us to do that. What is it? that I want to be? Who is it that I want to be? What do I think is true? That's what New Year's resolutions are about. And we put those things in our sights and we go after them. It matters what we believe to be true. Friends, this is where we're headed in this next sermon series that we're calling Theology Matters. Isn't that a cool word? Theology Theology matters. And the subtitle is Big Words That Make a Big Difference. And if we had our graphic, you'd be really impressed right now. Theology matters. What we believe matters because what we believe leads us to how we live. You with me on this? What we know to be true, what we know to be the most important things, what we believe will affect how we live. So theology matters. And this is going to be the theme that we're going to be talking about over the next uh, several weeks. Theology matters. Big words, because some of them will be big. Words like justification and atonement and ecclesiology and eschatology and soteriology. You hear those words? Y'all, did anybody not need to come? You got it all figured out? <laughs> big words that will make a big difference in our lives. And here's going to be our promise. And I'm going to introduce it just a little bit this morning. but. This is going to be our promise. We're going to have a bulletin handout for you that will say big word and you'll learn about one of those big words and you'll take some notes. And then underneath it, it'll say big difference and it'll talk to you about how then we should live if these things are true and important. You with me? So the big words that make a big difference, theology matters. It helps us know what we believe to be true and what we value and we set our sights on it and we live it out. Just like all these New Year's resolutions that we're talking about. Now, we named it this way. Let me get into it, introduce it a little bit. I want to look at a fun text together and, uh, and, and be uh, done a, out of here at 11 o'clock this morning. We named it this way for two reasons. Number one, we named it this because there's two words in it. We named it this. We named theology matters because, number one, we're going to talk about theology. And here's your definition of theology. Theology is the truth about God. Now the dictionary says something more beautiful and more long. It says the systematic study of the existence and the nature of the divine and its relationship to and influence upon other beings. The systematic study of the existence, the nature of God and the divine and its relationship and influence upon other beings. All that's saying is this is the truth about the story of God, who he is, what he's done. This is what theology is. What's true about God? And what's true about what God has done in our world? And what's true about what God does with us right now? And what's true about what God will do as we go toward the future into the the kingdom of heaven coming fully and into eternity? You with me on this? This is what theology is. It's the truth about this whole thing. It's the truth. Theology matters because it's about the truth. We're going to talk about truth over the next several weeks, the truth, because the truth matters. It matters what's true. And every one of us in this room is one of two people. We either need to know what we believe because we don't know. And some of you were a little terrified when I started mentioning all those big theological terms because you thought to yourself, I've been in the church a long time. That word sounds vaguely familiar. I hope there's not a test at the end, but I should probably know what that means, So so many of us fall in this one camp, which is to say, I don't know exactly what I believe. And if there was a test, I might fail it, and that would really probably displease God and certainly my pastors. So I I, I live in sort of this insecurity, but I don't know what I believe. And I really know that when I read an atheist or I see somebody on TV or I... And you think, I'm not sure how I would answer that. Anybody resonate with that at all? So we fall into one of two categories. One is we're just not sure all that we believe and we need some truth. We need to be like, what's the Bible teach? How does that fit? Is that real? What do I believe? Tell me, help me understand what to believe. Second category is you got most of that figured out and not all of us have all of it figured out, but you got most of that figured out, but you, especially if you think you got that figured out, you need a reminder of what the truth is because when we're reminded of what is true, and this is true for all of us, even if you have some of the more basic things figured out, you need a reminder about the basic things so that you say, oh, that's right. I believe that. And I forgot last year that this is what I believe. And so we're going to be schooling one another and we're going to be reminding one another about the things that we know to be true about God and who He is and what He has done and what He is doing. That's what we're going to be about. Okay? Because Truth matters, theology matters because it's how we live. I want us to look at the text. That's why the lights are on. You got your Bibles. I want you to just look again with me at uh, John chapter 4. And because this one verse it reminds us of it's the verse about worshiping in spirit and in what? Anybody know? Truth, yeah. And then I started reading the passage and I'm like, you know what? We got to spend a couple minutes in this passage anyway because you may get something out of it that isn't even what uh, I had intended, but it's such a good passage. John chapter 4 is about Jesus talking with a Samaritan woman. And in the end, where one of the, well not in the end necessarily, but where, one of the punch lines where this thing is going is, is that Jesus ends up saying these words, and we'll get there in just a sec. He says the Father is looking for these kinds of worshipers, those who worship in spirit and truth. He's saying that both are going to be important. And, um, but I want to look a little bit more at that again with you. Look at John chapter 4. And let me read through the story uh, with you. Everybody have an electronic Bible or a Bible on your, on your lap? The Pharisees heard that Jesus was, was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. And when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea because he was not yet ready to be famous, basically, and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to the town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour, so it was about noon, and Jesus has gone through Samaria. And if you know anything about this story, anything about the the history of the time, one of the things that you know is that Samaria was uh, the land where it was the northern part of Israel, and it was where the Israelites... A lot of of old history, but where the Israelites had intermarried because it had been resettled by people from another land. And so these kind of were like uh, not pure-blooded Jewish people. And their religion had not been pure-blooded anymore. It had been synchronized with all the religions of all the people who had come into that area from the other lands. And so these were people who were impure by blood and impure by religion. And so there was some racism going on. It's pretty strong racism. And uh, the fact that the scriptures say that he had to go through Samaria uh, is funny because that means Jesus had to break the norms and go where other people wouldn't go. So he goes through Samaria. He's thirsty. He sits by a well at noon. Verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me the dr- a drink? For his disciples had gone into town to buy food. And he asked her for a drink because their well there was there. And she brought the buckets or whatever to, to lower down on the ropes and to get the, the water for him. And he asked her. Now you know what's going on here, if you've, again, if you've read this story or heard it preached before, that he shouldn't have been out there speaking to this woman. Because she was a woman her husband wasn't present. That was improper in their culture. And he shouldn't have been speaking to her because she was a Samaritan. Because he was a Jew. And that was improper. And so here's Jesus breaking all the rules and he gets face to face with this woman. He says, hey, can you give me something to drink? And the Samaritan woman says to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now notice that, and we'll come back to that verse. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where will you get this living water? She didn't get it. She was understanding the truth on a very basic, literal level, right? Where's this water? That sounds like good water. Get some of that water for me. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself and did also his sons and flocks and herds? Are you going to give us water that's beyond the water that Jacob, uh, this well that Jacob built? Well, you got something else going on here? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. She was being so practical and he is being very spiritual now and blowing her mind. She still doesn't totally get it. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me some of this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming out here to draw water. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. Now the story takes a big turn. Okay, she's starting to get, there's something going on here with water. She's still talking about water. She gets it special water, but she still doesn't get that it's spiritual water, the way Jesus is talking. And so uh, she goes, well, tell me how to get it. And he goes, go get your husband. And right away, if you know the end of the story, she has to then be exposed. And she says, I have no husband. Jesus said, you're right. Verse 18, the fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. He exposes her in her brokenness and in her past and her shame. And in this story, of live, for her to live with a man at that time and for her to have been married five times, she, she, this is why she's going to get water at noon, because she couldn't go when all the other women went in the cool of the day because they would have totally dismissed her. And Jesus says, hey, basically Jesus, they start talking about water, and Jesus goes, I, uh, I know who you are. Sir, she said, verse 19, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that that is the place, uh, that, that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, another weird twist. Now, keep in mind, we're talking about truth here. He knows the truth all. He says, listen, I, want, I got some truth for you about what, what's really happening with God. And she, then she's like, I don't really get all that you're talking about. And he goes, okay, well, here's the truth about you. And she goes, okay, I can see that you know something. You're a prophet. You know some truth. And she goes, I see that you're a prophet. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say we worship in Jerusalem. What does that mean? What that means is, is that the Samaritans believed in their messed up view of whole Judaism that that the place to worship was on their mountain in Samaria. But the Jews, of course, through the revelation of the Old Testament, knew that the place to worship was in Jerusalem. And she looks at Jesus being confronted with his power, with his prophecy, with him being something more than just a normal guy that she saw out at at the well. Being confronted with that, she asks him a question about what? What's the topic? Worship. She's saying, what is going on? What do I believe? So how am I going to worship? How am I going to live my life? How am I going to live out what it is that I believe to be true? Isn't that an interesting dynamic? She asks about worship. Some commentators will just tell you, well, she was trying to divert the attention because it, un- it got uncomfortable, etc. I don't think so, friends. Why would she ask a question about worship when she realized that he was somebody divine or prophetic. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. For you Samaritans, now watch, think about truth. For you Samaritans worship what you do not know. What does that mean? Why? Because they had gotten all confused in what the truth was. They had all kinds of other religions and traditions teaching them things. Hello, does this sound a little bit like our culture? They did not know what it was that, th- that was true anymore. He said, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvations from the Jews. He wasn't being arrogant. He's saying, we've preserved the word from the prophets. We know what, what the, the Bible, uh, the Old Testament, what the law was teaching. We've had the consistent word. We know that. You don't know as much as we know, but we know more. And he goes, and so he's, he's talking about truth. Yet a time is coming and has not come Now, Sorry, now come, verse 23, where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Both. The woman said in her confusion, look what she says. I know the Messiah, the Savior called Christ is coming. And when he comes, I guess he'll explain all this stuff to me. It's confusing. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. The answers are coming. And they're here in me. Is this not a cool passage? Isn't there just so much in this passage? Jesus went to this woman and said, you are going to worship God, not just in spirit, but in truth. And she said, I don't know what truth is. And he said, the answers will come and they're coming in me. Friends, I, I got this passage because I wanted to remind us that true worship is about spirit and truth. And Jesus has the truth. And if we know the truth, then our worship, our, giving our lives to God, is complete. Many of us are one or the other, spirit or truth people. Do you get that? Do you think that that's probably true? Most of us re- kind of relate to one or uh, the other of those two things. I'm a, I'm a spirit worshiper kind of person, people feel like. It's a spiritual thing. It's a feeling. It's not necessarily connected to truth. I had uh, somebody say to me in talking about this text, somebody say to me, I got, I got all I need just loving Jesus. But man, some of those other words and all that kind of stuff, it's hard for me to get that. I don't really need to think that stuff through. I don't like thinking that through. But you know what? Jesus said there's a time it's coming, and now it's here, when you will worship in spirit and in truth. And there are others of you who are all about the truth. You know who you are. You're probably not smiling right now. You're all about the truth, and you know it all. And you're all into the details and the facts. But you, when we stand and we sing for 20 minutes, think, man, how come my heart isn't full? It's all up here you with me it's not one or the other it's spirit and it's truth and we're going to spend some time saying and truth matters we're going to spend some time on truth because you know what this church does spirit pretty darn well you know that don't you know that it's awesome we come in here man and we're like this is rich it's not rich and it's true and it's worship that's worship but we're going to talk about the truth stuff Well, I brought you to that text because I wanted you to see that Jesus said when she goes, I don't know, I don't know, maybe someday the Messiah is going to come and clarify all this stuff because all this God and worship stuff is so unclear. Maybe someday the Messiah will come and he'll clarify. You resonate with that? And Jesus says, time is now. It's here. We're going to get to the truth because what's true matters. And you're going to worship in truth. We're going to be worshipers in truth and in spirit as we go through these next few weeks. We named this thing, Theology Matters, because number one, theology is the truth about God. And truth matters. Worshippers in truth, it matters that we know what's true. The second thing we named it was matters. Truth matters. I mean, sorry, theology matters. It matters. It makes a big difference difference what you know and believe. Do you believe me on that, that? Do you hear that? It makes a big difference. Everything that you do is rooted in some truth or some belief that you have. Every dysfunction in your life is believing some lie or some skewed truth. You know that too? Everything we do, everything we believe, every value we hold, every way we spend our time, somewhere down below is rooted some kind of a truth. It matters what you believe. And we're saying we better get at this stuff that matters so that we believe the right stuff so that we know the right truth so that we're not confused and then we can live the way that God has for us to live. Everything you are and do is rooted in some belief. Something you believe is true. In fact, one of my more common things in pastoral counseling with people is helping people get to this place where they recognize that at the core they've maybe made an agreement with a lie and it runs their lives they would never quit their job or never ask for a raise because they believe the lie that they could not do anymore or, or, or a young single man who would never ask a woman out on a date because somewhere along the line he's believed the lie that no woman could love him. On and on and on we've believed lies. Some of us live thinking uh, untruths about God. And day in and day out, church in and church out, week in and week out, season in and season out, we come and we cannot connect with the God of our souls who we look and says loves us, but somewhere we believe some lies about him. Like, he's so tired of me not living up to his expectations that he kind of, I know it doesn't say that in the scriptures and it doesn't mean this to other people, it's probably not true for other people, but for me, he's kind of pissed at me finally. Some of us have believed that forever. And we live with a spiritual inferiority complex. Truth matters. Theology matters. What we believe matters. It makes a big difference. And that's the little subtitle in the text. And Michael, come on up. We're going to do a song here at the end. The little subtitle is Big Words That Make a Big Difference. Friends, it matters what you believe. It matters what you know to be true. In this text, John, chapter, uh, John 4, verse 10. Go back and look at verse 10 as Michael comes up. The minstrel. That is awesome. Jesus said in verse 10, If you knew, still have it open? Look at it. If you knew the gift of God, you hear the words? You knew the gift and you knew the one who gives it. Meaning if you knew about this salvation and if you knew God and if you knew me, he says to this woman, you would be saying, give me all that you have for me. Give me all of this living water. Do you see that? You would have asked him, you would have begged him, you would have pleaded with him and he would have given you living water. Jesus said, if you knew the truth about salvation and if you knew the truth about my Father in heaven, you would be all in. It matters what we know to be true. It matters what we believe because then we're free to be all in because the one thing we know about truth is that it sets us free. That's where we're headed, friends. May God grant you a joyful experience in being people over the next weeks who worship in spirit and in truth that will set us free to be all in. So we cry out to our God in heaven. You come, you bring living water. Give us all that you have, God, for we're all in. Let's stand and worship him as we finish our morning.